extravaganza tonight. I'm a little excited because I don't know what's going to happen. Amen. But then again, I never know what's going to happen, which is why I'm always excited. <laughs> what's going to happen? Kind of works out. I don't know. <laughs> haven't blown up yet, though. All right. Mr. Cole, do you yes, the honors? I, my pleasure. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. It's just beyond my comprehension that you would do what you've done to have a family and you would love us as much as you do to do to all all the trouble and that we see through the word and what you've accomplished and what you've done and the price you paid for us just so that we could be part of your family. We are so thankful to you. We love you back and we put we put you first in our hearts. We praise you when we say uh, have your way here tonight in Christ's name, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. All right. So, we're in Hebrews chapter 10, if you haven't noticed yet. Uh, this is drawing near with a true heart. So, in this pivotal section where we're moving from the primarily doctrinal area of Hebrews to the practical area, if you recall, uh, well, let's just read it first. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So those verses cover the four great blessings of the new worship, which is the holiest is open, we have boldness to enter through the blood, we have a new and living way, and we have a great high priest over the house of God. And we've We've delved into this over the past several weeks, right? Well, now we get to move into the, the chief marks of the true worshiper, which is a true heart, fullness of faith, a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, and the body washed with clean water. And, and this is a sure mark of my spiritual growth need. <laughs> Not a sure mark of my spiritual growth, but a sure mark of my spiritual growth need is that what the writer to this church could do in a verse, um, I can't. So, <laughs> I, I really was tempted to try to chew all this up in like, you know, one evening, right? I could see Linda's face, she's like, don't do that again, <laughs> ever. So we're not. So tonight, we're going to deal with, uh, let us draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from the evil conscience, our body washed with pure water, drawing near with a true heart. Uh, is what I want to discuss tonight. So, drawing near is real simple. I'm, I'm near Carrie right now. I drew near. Now <laughs> I'm nearer. And now I'm nearer still, right? And he's like, well, don't get near now. Why are you that? Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> You're in my personal space. Think of it that way. Drawing near to God is to get into his personal space. Get into the personal space with God. You know what happens when you invade somebody else's personal space? 
Because what? Sometimes you get hit. Well, you can, but they happen to be where? In your, in your personal space. In your personal space. You have to expose your personal space to get into somebody else's personal space, mm -hmm. which tempts me to get into all kinds of personality dynamic type of discussions, but I'm not going to do that right now because we're talking about the heart. Okay? So, let's talk about that. Now, I struggle continually with how to communicate this. Um, in, in terms of being able to, to gain understanding, it helps us to parse things down, to pigeonhole things, right? This belongs here, this belongs there, that belongs there. And, and there's a, an efficiency and effectiveness to that so that we can kind of chew that elephant a bite at a time. But the problem is, is that as we're chewing that elephant a bite at a time, sometimes we forget we're dealing with an elephant. Mm -hmm. we, we forget the whole picture, and we tend to think the parts are units in and of themselves, and they're not. They're really handles of understanding aspects of our being, if you will. So, uh, spirit, soul, and body are essential for us to understand in our growth as Christians, in our walk with God, understanding re redemption. But we also need to understand uh, the entire holistic nature of who we are. And, and uh, it doesn't bore me to repeat it, because I, I think that the more I say it, sooner or later, one of these days, I'm going to actually get it. I'm going to actually understand it, right? Um, so, when you look at a person, what you see is the body. It's the evidence. It's, it's the, that's what you see, that person, you know? I mean, when someone's dead, someone has to ID the body. They're not IDing, is this his handwriting? <laughs> you know, I mean... It, uh, body identification is, is a basic identity, okay? So, here I go off the rails. Body. So there's, there's this aspect where we, we get so spiritually involved that we denigrate or forget the body. Now, I spent a lot of time two weeks ago talking about the flesh and how no good thing dwells in our flesh. And, and yet, all that said and done, that's not a flesh, evil, spirit, good talk. Because God bled for it all. He's not going to have you die and go to heaven and live forever in a disembodied spirit. That's not the end game. That's what movies sell. That's what paganism sells. That's not what God did. God redeemed the body. There's a resurrection. The empty tomb speaks of our faith and our hope. Hope brings us into God's personal spirit how we enter in, the, that, that the better hope brings us into the holiest. And the better hope is, is that who I am, um, you know, if, if your step gets out of gate or, or something happens to you, like when I, was, um, when I was going through cancer, one of the first things that I noticed was, to me, my voice quality changed. My body changed and was altered by that golf-sized tumor at the base of my tongue that I didn't even know was there. I thought I was dealing with this blown-up neck, right? But I could, I could tell that my voice sounded different, and that made me feel different. My body changed. I couldn't recognize myself. Have you ever gone through anything like that? Scary. You know? Yeah. You know, and, and we, we go through phases of that. Women go through a lot more of it than men do. 
Um, but a physical change changes identity. It's a big deal is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Your body. Amen. Okay? It's a big deal. And uh, unless we lose track, because there's a lot coming at you. We're talking about the heart tonight. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, but we're not just body. Remember, God told, uh, told Samuel, look, I don't look at the outward appearance like men do. I look at the heart. So, you know, Samuel goes out there to anoint a king. He sees these big strapping fellows show up. He's like, I've got to be one of them. You know, the one king Israel has is taller than everybody else. Got to be a big guy. Disproportionately, by the way, presidents of the United States are tall. Disproportionately, CEOs of corporations are tall. You ever wonder why 19th century soldiers wore headdresses? Made them look tall. I'm on a construction site where everyone stopped wearing hard hats. Took me a while to recognize anybody. Right? Because there are different heights now. Okay? It's a big deal. That's how we judge. That's how we see. That's what we... When you look in a mirror, <laughs> right? It's just you. Well, that body that is decaying and dying, and should the Lord tarry, goes into the ground, returns to dust, God in His infinite wisdom and power we will reassemble that body, your body, and put your spirit back in it, and you will be you. That's good news. Amen. Like That's good bones. news. Amen. Like the dry bones. Like the dry bones. Amen. That's your body. But we're not just body. We have a soul, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so the soul is easy to recognize in the sense that it is what keeps track of your thoughts, so to speak, <laughs> or your experiences, I should say. Um, your likes, dislikes, your memories, your feelings, uh, all these kinds of things are involved in the soul. It's, it's it's the life of your body, right? So nephesh, soul life. Suke is in the Greek from which we get psyche, right? Your psychic signature, the way you think, the way your attitudes, your habits, your behaviors, that soul makes you recognizable as a person. When someone goes through dementia or schizophrenia, they become unrecognizable. Those who are living with them Watch a personality die mm -hmm. while a body is walking around. Mm -hmm. It's very distressing. Mm -hmm. Right? So, that's the soul. But we're also spirit. Now, in these circles, you see how close, the, and in color, and in size, and in proximity, I've drawn the soul and the spirit. And that is because it is difficult to differentiate. Okay? The base life principle of man is pneuma, is the spirit. That spirit is what was created in the image of God. That spirit is what has eternity hole in it that only God can fill. <laughs> he said he placed eternity in their hearts. God did that on purpose. You were created to live forever. Mm -hmm. Only if you were attached to the tree of life. Anybody separated from the tree of life lives with its hunger forever. That's your father's design. Because <laughs> he wins all the time. That excites me. So, as a body without the spirit, 
is what? Natural man. Dead, mm -hmm. right? If this body has no spirit, it's the body is dead. Not the spirit, mm -hmm. but the body's dead. Okay? Well, where does that leave the soul? Well, it's kind of all mixed in there. Mm -hmm. It's all kind of, you know, it's just mixed in there. Now, if that's not confusing enough, I'm not trying to confuse you, I'm just trying to just get you to, to appreciate the holistic nature of this thing. Hang on. You see, your body has a heart, and your soul has a heart, and your spirit has a heart. And the heart of it is all of it. Now, if you, if you happen to just kind of fall into um, a critical means of looking at the text of the Bible, you may decide that God's use of the word heart, or God's use of the word kidney, or God's use of the word bowels in Scripture is simply poetic. And if it was just some man writing it, it might have been just poetry, but it's not. It's the creator of the heavens and the earth who formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul who put those kidneys and those bowels and that heart and that brain in you. There's a whole lot of quote-unquote thought process that happens outside of the neural system that is your brain. But your brain, in terms of a body mechanism, is the only thing that's registering it. And what is conscious of what the brain is registering, we call the soul, and what can monitor those thoughts and keep them in control is your spirit. Now, who would like a simple key, a simple discipline that would help you differentiate your spirit from your soul? Anybody? Yeah. Anybody? All right, three people. We'll have a private meeting back here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this real quick. <laughs> All right, we ask this again. Would anybody like a practical key or means by which you could differentiate your spirit and your soul. Anybody? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'll All right. Bite. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. You'll bite. Okay. When you were born again, and the Holy Spirit took up habitation in your heart, in your spirit, and all things became new, and this place, this heart, the heart of hearts, the center of you, your spirit, which was dark, dead, because it was separated from God, knew no good thing. Any good thing you did was driven by self-interest in some form or, or fashion or another. The, right. the, the, the concept of true self-sacrifice was unknown at a deep spiritual level. Okay? When the Holy Spirit came in there and recreated that, that's where that that's where that was, right there in that heart. Boom. And when he came up and took habitation in there, he enabled you. He supernaturally gave you uh, what we would call in the vernacular talents, capabilities. These capabilities shine out of the person and they are visibles. 
I'm trying to use um, non-religious language to hopefully maybe communicate better. Let's call them the visibles of the Holy Spirit. There are visibles of the Holy Spirit in someone who's born again. One of those primary visibles, audibles, of the Holy Spirit that is saying, hey, I'm here <laughs> from the very center of your being, we refer to as a prayer language or speaking in tongues. It comes from the Spirit, and it bypasses the most obvious thing we call our soul, which is our conscious mind. God says, look, I've got a gift for you, because I know, I made you. I know this is difficult. I know this is challenging. So when I remake you, I'm going to give you something that helps you feel a part of you you're not used to feeling. Feel a part of you you're not used to differentiating. Exercise a part of you you're not used to accessing. I'm going to allow you to pray to me, your Father. That's the first thing that comes up with this. Allah! The Holy Spirit stirs up this prayer in our hearts, and then a language pours out of our body because we submit to the Holy Spirit, and we move our mouths and our lips and our tongues, and a language we do not understand comes out. And God, because we have submitted ourselves to His will, uses our spirit, willfully laid down, to pray beyond our faith level, Amen. to pray beyond our knowledge level, to pray beyond our endurance level. And the more you do that, the more you, you can understand when it's your spirit, when it's his spirit, and when it's just your soul or your thought process. So that's free, not charging extra for that tonight. Just know that that is something that everyone has. Just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean you don't have it. Okay? The price has already been paid. Price has been paid. Jesus paid that price. So, now, so as we go forward and talk about the heart, because I've spent a lot of time, and I'll spend more time, uh, preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He died for you, and that He cleansed your heart. That you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and once you accepted God's free gift of redemption, God's not taking it back. You are His. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So, as we go into this discussion, this nuts and bolts discussion about the heart, understand I'm speaking to it in a holistic sense, primarily in the soul-spirit realm, in this intermingling of differentiation. Hey, Vera. So... How closely aligned are these things? How difficult is it to differentiate? Well, um, let's look at a definition first. I should review my notes before I go forward transitions, right, Ryan? New Unger's Bible Dictionary defines the heart as the inmost center of the natural condition of man. Okay? It's the center of bodily life. We know that, right? I mean, if you're going to check for, for, see if someone's alive, what's, what's one of the first things you check? You get a pulse? <laughs> is his heart moving? And if it's not, what do we do? Yeah, we try to get that heart going, right? All right. I'm not yelling. I'm excited. You're not resuscitated. I'll bring the volume down a little bit. All right? The center of body life. It's the center of the rational, spiritual nature of man. So that, that's, that's the heart. The center of thought and conception... They're all, they're verses for all this, but I'm just not going to, I got plenty of verses for you, okay? 
<clears throat> it's the center of the moral life. I love this. It is the laboratory and origin of all that is good and evil in thoughts, words, and deeds. Mm. It is the laboratory and origin of all that is good and evil in thoughts, words, and deeds. Okay? God is a just God in judging what you do because what you do has always been up to you. See, if, if you couldn't help it, if you didn't actually have a choice, then His judgment would be unjust and righteous, but it's not. He's a righteous judge to judge you for everything you've done in your body, both good and bad. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Well, then, if my heart is the laboratory of everything good or evil that develops in my thoughts, words, and deeds, where should my focus be? Keeping my body clean? Keeping my heart clean. Does that mean I neglect my body and just not bathe? I mean, that's shamanism, right? That's primitivism. One of the things you'll note, and it's just a common theme in shamanism and naturalistic religions, is the holy man doesn't wash. They're filthy. Why are they filthy? Because they are infested with unclean spirits. That's right. <laughs> so the little thing we say about cleanliness is next to godliness has truth in it. Do you understand? I'm, I'm after this holistic thing, okay? I'm excited. God, God already gives the, the cleanliness is godliness thing. I mean, that's already, already implemented in his Mosaic Law that he put down uh -huh. with the Hebrews when they were traveling through the wilderness. I mean, there's a whole list of what to do, not what to do about keeping clean. It's really, God's really practical. He says, when you camp, dig latrines. Because when I walk through your camp, I don't want to step in your dew. Mm -hmm. That's the Bible. If you haven't read that version, um, next next year published. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's in the Bible, okay? Yeah. The laboratory and origin of all that is good and evil in thoughts, words, and deeds. It is the center of the entire man, the very hearth, the very hearth of life's impulse. Okay. Anyone ever had, everyone ever suffered through brokenheartedness? Had a broken heart? Oh, yeah. Okay. Was that just emotional? No. Absolutely not. Why do, we, why do we call severe emotional trauma brokenheartedness? Because it affects your physical being. Mm -hmm. Because the people die from broken hearts. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Y'all got it? I won't mm -hmm. dwell. Okay. So, first two uses. Right? First two uses of lev in the Hebrew, heart, in Scripture. And I think this is telling. Okay? And it brings up the heart of man and the heart of God. So, it's a principle of hermeneutics, of scriptural interpretation, that God imbues with the first use of a thing, uh, he, he impregnates it with a lot. Right? So, here is the first and second use of heart in Scripture. Genesis. Chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. First use of heart refers to man's giving himself over to complete evil imagination. Second use of heart is God's response and reaction to that. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And it grieved him to his heart. Just just a quick search. You know, I'm like, I wonder what the first... I wonder what the first time heart shows up. Right? A heart of evil intention is one of the things the Lord lists that He hates. That He hates. Okay? Now, see, God's proactive. God's not a victim. (laughs) God didn't go, wow, these people are really... I just, I'm going to sit here and suck my thumb. Uh, no, he just said, how about I have myself a good cry and wash the whole planet away? I'll start over. Okay? He didn't leave it, is what I'm saying. Now, first word of heart in the New Testament. Anybody interested? Yes. Huh? Mm-hmm. All right? You got it. Thank you, sir. You this is cool. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Huh? Take us there. Take us there? Yeah. Who's there? Let's go. Oh, take us there. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, Jesus said on the Mm. mountain. Happy. That's the word. Blessed is a good religious word. Happy we understand. Happy. Predisposed to happiness is the person who's pure in heart. Why? Because they're going to see God. Right? Let us draw near with a true heart. A heart that is trued up, okay? A pure heart. They're uh, synonymous just about. This is the last word on hearts from our Lord Jesus recorded in Scripture. (laughs) I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. This is the tail end of this verse. Uh, his pronouncement of judgment on Jezebel and her children. And he says, I will, I will kill her children with death. What chapter and verse is that? That is Revelation 2, verse 23. I read the latter part of the verse because I didn't want to go off on teaching the whole book of Revelation. <laughs> he is the one. Now, I chose the King James on this because if you read a modern version, they will take this reins, and that's not like, yeah, with your horse, Okay. Uh, this or, or reigns like you know he reigns over the earth. This reigns. The word behind it is kidneys. That's the word. And so modern translations will give you the sense of mind. You know I'm the one that searches the minds and hearts. Uh, but I wanted you to catch what God was saying. He searches the kidneys. The kidneys are the in, part of the inmost hidden part of man. The kidneys. The kidneys are what were put on the altar the ophal of the sacrificial animal that God got to get. You know, you'll put that up. You don't eat that. You just put up there, you know, the fat back here, and you put that up there, and you burnt that up to me. Mm-hmm. The kidneys filter out the impurities of your body. And there's a lot going on with regard to your emotional thought state that happens inside the kidneys that you become cognizant of with your brain. You understand? There's a lot of things that are thought in your kidneys that you become cognizant of in your brain. Understand that your brain is the organic, it's, it's your organ 
of perception, okay? But, but what it's doing is it's filtering the information coming from all the organs of your body, all the parts of your body. You put your hand on someone and you feel, but your hand's not feeling anything. You're registering that in your brain. Pick the right portion of your brain and the right influence, and you could just prick the brain and your hand will feel something. Okay? All right, are you with me so far? Mm -hmm. So, he's the one which tries. He, just, he figures out these intentions and these thoughts of our heart. And he's the one that's going to reward it, good or evil. This is to the churches. Okay? This is not the great white throne judgment. This is Jesus, the great high priest, the head of the body, sitting in judgment over his body. The church. The church. Yeah, the assembly of the saints. So, the first two words on heart out of Scripture in the, in the Old Testament is man's heart continually devising new evil ways to do, and God's heart being grieved over it. The first word regarding heart recorded for us in the New Testament out of our Lord's mouth is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, that's, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Right? And our conscience sprinkled and our body washed with pure water. Okay? So... Hebrews 4.12 For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. How closely aligned are soul and spirit? How closely aligned are thoughts and intents? Very close. Yeah. See, this Word of God isn't... isn't um, you can apply that, I've taught this many times, you can apply that to your Bible, you know, the Word of God is the written Scripture, and that's an application. But that's not the interpretation. This Word of God is no, no, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all things are open to the one, to the eyes of the one with whom we have to deal. And that's why he says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace to find, throne of grace to find grace in time of need, right? This Word of God is Jesus, the living Lord and Savior. He is sharp enough to let you know, I know you think your intent was this, but no, your intent was really this. This is coming out of your spirit. This is coming out of your soul. So as a flash forward, if you wonder how the judgment of the Church of Jesus Christ happens, this sharp sword, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has a sword that comes out of His mouth, He's able to separate a soul from a spirit. He's able to take those two apart. Think about that for a minute. Okay? Here's the thing. We know the difficulty of the task and the need. And God, as we've already discussed, took His commandment and wrote it on the tablet of our heart. The reservoir of what is, is there. We've got to find our way there. Um, from the drawer of bad examples. Okay? So, <laughs> so, by the time I was, well, by the time I was, mom said, when we moved to Spain, 
I cried for six months, after which I didn't speak English. <laughs> so, so let's just say from the latter part of my sixth year of life until nearly my 11th birthday, my entire thought process was in Spanish. So to speak with my parents, I would usually have my sister translate because I couldn't stand how their Spanish sounded. It was just the, the accent was horrible. It was like, ah, don't, you know. And they could speak to me in English, but I mean, I would miss half of it. So, so, so we moved. We moved back to the States, and it's traumatic. I won't go into all the details, but Mom and I moved back. February 9th is repatriation day for me, and we moved back, and, and it's, it's, once again, cultural immersion. It's like, kid, I didn't teach you to swim. I just, you know, pretty good at throwing you in the water. And so here we are. So here, I'm in America now, and I'm, I'm, I, was, I was forced to find the lexicon of English that was the base of my first learned language. Mm -hmm. So that by the time we went to California in March, and my older brother showed me off to his Hispanic friends and saying, this is my baby brother, he speaks Spanish. Talk to him in Spanish. I'm like, I didn't know where it went. Didn't know where it went. Really? So what I'm going to share with you took me years to figure out. Um, about four or five to be exact. So it was very distressing. Now my siblings come home, and I'm, you know, I'm 11, and they're, you know, as now my siblings, uh, Eric, Barbara, and Timothy, the four of us, you know, the four of the seven that went to Spain, we always spoke to each other in Spanish. And home, we didn't speak to each other in English, we spoke to each other in Spanish. And so they come to America, they're fresh from Spain, now it's April, and they want to talk, and not only can I not come up with the right words, um, I, I've got an accent now. You got right. An accent. Oh. And you know, you know how siblings are. They're very they're very affirming and very supportive. <laughs> <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't make fun of me at all, right? And like every eleven year old, I was self confident and mature and it didn't bother me one bit. <laughs> right? So about maybe two, three years into this permutation, what I discovered was is that if I was around my siblings, I would dream in Spanish. And, and so that told me that, oh, the files are there. I've just lost the location. Mm -hmm. Here's what my brain did. Is that it, because I was being forced to consciously think in English, it just did me a favor and said, well, five years of identity and memory, I'll just translate for you because this is our new operating system. We're now operating in English, so boom. Now, and my method for approaching the language before was to, to remember how I learned the language, right? How I had conversations with my most intimate friends, how I, how I conversed with my siblings. Well, all those memories, my brain just said, well, they're in English now, pal. You're on your own. <laughs> Flash forward two and a half decades, I did an online course on, on, uh, on psychology of bilinguals, um, and, and it affirmed what I pretty much figured out when I was 14. All I had to do was, was you know, I get over the emotional distress that I had, I had lost five years of my life, find the file, and bring up the word. Okay? Yeah, right. That might sound simple, but how do you do it? <laughs> the brain is amazing. It, it's, so, yeah, so those memories are pretty amazing. So, I mean, bilingual, how many bilinguals in a room? Let's just keep it to bilingual, okay? All right, now I'm tempted to tell the joke. You know you know what you call someone who knows three languages? 
Trilingual, right? You know what you call someone who knows two languages? Bilingual. You, you, what do you call someone who knows one language? American. American! That's right. That's right. So, okay? Why'd I share all that? Um, Alright, so, so to, to, to find that place, see, our soul and spirit so closely aligned, Jesus knows the difference and the similarities, and He could lead us to find the place where the fountain of life is. We just got to focus on the right signposts. You know, if I'm driving down the road trying to find my way to Santa Fe, and um, in the old school way, we would look at actual signs or a map, but, you know, if you got your GPS on, you could be focusing on the directions, or you could be trying to, you know, text and look at your notifications while you're driving and risk your life. But if you're not paying attention to the directions to where you're going, you're not going to get there, right? Okay? Jesus knows the way because He is the way. Amen. Now, that was a long, dramatic example, right? He is sharp. He can divide soul and spirit. Okay? So, Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. There, there is a lot going on with you, with me. But the director, the determiner of the outcome of your life is the center of your life, your heart. Mm -hmm. What happens when you don't involve yourself in good heart health? Physically. Mm -hmm. Right? Your whole body suffers. Yeah. Your whole body suffers. You know? Um, I, I, anyhow, it, it does. I, um, I'm thinking of Nikolai at the moment. His my son, son, my oldest son. And, and so, you know, uh, there, there are a lot of aspects of him that are 100%, but he's still dealing with some heart issues, even though he's had a tremendous healing in his heart from what went through. And yet, <clears throat> what they have to do to suppress his heart so it doesn't blow out affects him mentally. Makes sense? Mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, I'm tired. Um, you know, all these kinds of things that impact because his heart's not being the way it, it would regularly for a 30-year-old man, okay? That's all the story of that I'm going to tell. So, keep your heart with all vigilance. So, if that's true with our physical heart, it's true with our inmost being. If we don't keep that, what we allow in there determines how we behave. It's as simple as that, okay? So, Matthew 15. Matthew 15 and uh, verse 1. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them and said, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. In other words, the commandment of God was is that, that children are supposed to support their parents at an elder age. And, and so, but these scribes and Pharisees figured a way to get more money in the building fund. Mm -hmm. They said, well, you know, you don't have to give it to mom and dad if you give it to the temple because you know, God's more important than your mom and dad. So... Why would you take your tithe to make sure your mom had a place to live? The tithe's more important. Sounds good, doesn't it? Mm. It's dead wrong, though. Mm -hmm. So, 
He says, uh, but you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you have, what would you, what you would gain from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So this, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. <coughs> you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Nearness to, nearness to God is about what you do. It's about what you do. We, have, we are prone, and this is not against knowledge, okay? But we are prone to classify by indoctrination or doctrine. Have the right belief. If you have the right belief, then you're a good person. If you have the wrong belief, you're a bad person. God's more interested in how that belief plays out. If you do the right thing, right? If you do the right thing uh, versus if you, quote-unquote, believe the right thing. There's a whole message I won't get into. So, um, this people honors me with their lips and their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So, our, our traditions, be that as they may... And whatever they are, you know, I mean, we could, we could pick at Christmas and we could pick at how we do family dinner. We could pick at a whole lot of things. But what we habitually do and sanctify, if it's contrary to what God's will is, pulls us away from God. Understand? Um, it pulls us away. You, you could, I mean, you can ecclesiize it all you want, uh, you know, in terms of... Uh, Philip was telling me that, you know, this, this cowboy joke of, of how the, the person came to dress, you know, and he keeps coming he keeps coming to church and the pastor's like, you should spend some time praying and see what God says about how you come dressed to church. And then he comes dressed to church and he's in full Wrangler outfit. And the pastor said, well, didn't you talk to God? He said, yeah, I did, but he doesn't know because he never comes to this church. So, <laughs> you know, I, I mean... Look, <laughs> right, right. So you, you're teaching these vain traditions, and and, and so you, you make a big show. Well, I want to share the other side of this out of Mark. So, in in Mark uh, Mark seven, verse fourteen, and and you know he's talking about washing of hands and the, the honoring parents, and then Mark seven and verse fourteen. Then he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, mm -hmm. but the things that come out of a person are the things that defile him. And when he had entered the house uh, and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? You're not getting this either? Let me try this again. He says, <clears throat> Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Okay? It's a very practical illustration. That the, the, uh, the scribes and Pharisees are trying to say you can become spiritually unclean by eating kosher meat with unwashed hands. And Jesus says, how could that be? That it's going to affect my spiritual heart. That kosher meat goes into my stomach, and then I leave it in the latrine. That's the language in the Greek. Mm -hmm. Y'all know what that means, right? Not to get into the BMs and all that, right? right. It's very real, the Bible. Right. Okay? Very real, the Bible. And um, 
It doesn't enter the heart, and so it is expelled. And so I'm not going to deal with the parenthetical, thus he, thus he declared all foods clean. That's a whole other teaching. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. How? Because they come out. Because they come out. You can't keep it in. What you put in your heart comes out of your mouth, and what comes out of your mouth directs your life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, you are an integrated being in identity. You can't keep secret wicked thoughts and not do wickedly. Doesn't happen. And, and Jesus says, you know, if you look at a woman with adultery in your heart, you're already guilty. You've done it. All your lacking is opportunity. You've made the decision. Mm-hmm. So I will judge you on the intent. Mm-hmm. Right? <clears throat> how, come the woman's get a, how come the woman get a free ride here? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> she was being looked at. What her fault. <laughs> so it's thought, action, and result. That, that heart. You may ask me, well, if I'm born again, how do these evil things reside in my heart? Again, we're talking about this holistic sense of the center of man. And these, <clears throat> these thoughts, these things that abide in you, contrary to God, pardon me, are developed over a lifelong habit. Thought patterns, life patterns, trauma patterns, all these kinds of patterns are there. So that God fixed it at the base, it's up to you to draw it up, to draw salvation up out of the wells of life, in that sense, right? He's fixed it at the core place. Now we're walking that redemption out in our soul and in our body. He's, gonna, he's, he's doing all the work, by the way. He saved your spirit. It's through Him that your soul becomes subjugated, and by Him your body will be redeemed. You cooperate in that effort. Okay? <clears throat> Thought, action, result. So... James 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted, how? When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Desires reside in the heart. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Mm -hmm. This is the process. So that... um, it's, it's a temptation when I'm lured, right? It's not automatic. It's not automatic that, um, it, you know, if I see someone smoking a pipe, I want to smoke a pipe. Which I don't, by the way. <laughs> but I used to. Okay? So, but, but when I'm, I am not involved in the activity, but still desirous of the fix and I see that, then I'm tempted. I'm like, oh, that looks good. That smells good. I might want that. You don't, by the way. You don't want that at all. I refer you back to the thing about my tongue and the cancer and all that. Okay? So, all right. And then you're enticed, lured, and then you succumb. Fill in the blank, people. Whatever you're struggling with. God's given you the victory. All you got to do is... Stand in faith. Mm-hmm. I was going to say grab a set, but I wasn't going to do that. Um, so, 
bear with me for a second. I, before we get into the next section here, just want to do like a, like a, just a little, you know, just a little entertainment, just a little skit to hopefully uh, um, help you absorb what comes next, okay? You come with great recommendation. I, I, uh, anyhow, I've, I've got the. Well, you got the paperwork, right? Yeah, I got all the paperwork. Okay. I heard. What is the issue? My on? hip is hurting. I need you to help me with my hip, and I don't know what's uh, going on. Okay. I mean, everything's been good, but my hip just seems to. It just is flared up. It's flared up a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here, what we do at Moving Forward Therapy is um, we're just going to do an overall assessment, okay. kind of see how things go, and then we'll give you a game plan. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. okay. So. All I need you to do first is I'm going to see how your gait is. That's how you walk. So okay. I'm going to move over there, and then I'm just going to have you walk back and forth through here, okay? Okay. And I'm going to see, see how you move. All, All right. right? Sound right. good? Cool. Okay. Sounds great. You go want ahead. to start over here? Um, go ahead. Start here and just start, walk start straight. Start here? Okay. Yeah, straight walk straight. Walk the piano. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Turn around. Come straight back at me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, turn around again for me here. Are you okay? Oh, I'm good. I, good. It happens every now and again. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it looks like the problem here is um, you have something kind of around your ankle. Which, what? Yeah. What? You didn't notice that? Nah, that can't be it. It's my hip. I'm here for my hip. Sir, I'm uh, highly trained professional here and I think I know what I'm talking about. Okay. That is affecting your gait, which is affecting your hip. So I, I, I always wear this. Uh yeah, let's and wear it. <laughs> my, my foot's fine. You know I, can, I walk let's, all the time. Let's just try an experiment. Go ahead and take a seat for me, please, sir. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Assist. Just yeah, just trust me on this one, okay? You know. Alright, so um, we're just gonna try something here, okay? okay? I'm just gonna untie this here. What are you doing? Um, exactly what I told you what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, I know it's yours. We're okay. just gonna, again, this is an experiment, okay? We're okay. just gonna see how this is. Okay. It's my hip, you know, it's not my ankle. Yeah, I, I know. It's not about the weight. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> so we're gonna untie this. Welcome and, like a true man. Okay. <laughs> Alright, so it might be a little weird. You might feel some lightness. Okay, you okay. might feel so heavy at heart. Let's go ahead, have you stand up. Alright. Ready? Yeah. We're going to do the same thing here. Okay. So I'm just going to have you walk towards me, and then walk back that All way. Alright. Okay? Kind of feels, feels great. Oops, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah it's steady it, there. I know. Yeah, it feels a little no, weird. It's, um, yeah, I feel a little freer. Okay. It's, um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's good. Uh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> stay there. Uh, how's your hip? How's that doing? It, it hips better, but not not like not great. Not, yeah, it's, there's something still wrong. I, I don't know. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, you know your shoes are on backwards. Well, not quite backwards. They're on the wrong feet. I always put my shoes on like this. <laughs> Who taught you that? Well, I'm. Okay, well, oh, all right, so I'm... Um, I'm very you know, sorry for your childhood. I'm, okay, let's go ahead. I always put on my left shoe first, but I'm right-hand dominant, so doesn't it go there? 
No, sometimes, see, as we get older, our directions get messed up a little bit. Okay. Right? So this is why I'm here, is to help you yeah. get back on track. Okay? You're telling me i got to put my shoes on differently? Yeah. No, you're old. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Who said that? I know. Those little voices yeah. make you feel like crazy, but don't worry. You're not okay. going for me? Right. Now, if you could just, yeah, switch your switch, shoes out. Switch the shoes over? Yeah. You're serious. I'm serious. <laughs> I know, it seems strange, but sometimes we have to change our old patterns yeah, yeah, yeah. in order to walk differently. Alright, so, okay, so. Yeah. You're, you're, oh, so no? You. No, no. You're doing great. Okay. Yeah, put it on, put it on. Uh, no, 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 no
organically, physically, happen in the synapses of your brain. How neurons fire against each other and what combinations they make and what portions of your brain those combinations are made. Okay? So, stimulus and memory. And this is from In Search of Memory by Eric Kandel, who got the Nobel Prize for figuring out how memory works on a physical level. Okay? <laughs> a single stimulus strengthens the synapse. So if there's a stimulus to the body that affects that neuron, it strengthens that connection in the synapse. One stimulus will strengthen the synapse. But that basically is short-term memory. Okay? Repeated stimulation causes kinases. Um, it's proteins, right? A and MAP. And, and they move into the neuron nucleus. So if, if, if this set of neurons has the stimulus come at it oftentimes, then that, that makes this protein go into the nucleus of the cell. And what it does is it unlocks, <laughs> well, those activate cyclic AMP response element binding proteins, okay? CREB for short. AMP is the power of every cell in your body, okay? So it, it amps up, it's energizing this process, okay? And so now you have CREB1 and CREB2. Basically CREB1 um, turns on genes and CREB2 turns off genes. Kinase A sets CREB1 loose and MAP sets CREB2 loose. And so as you get repeated stimulus, what happens is these move into the nucleus of the cell and they turn off a certain set of genes and they turn on another set of genes which changes expression and you begin to grow new neurons. Repeated experience grows synapses which strengthens the connection which makes the memory. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. Okay. So as ephemeral as memories are, they're pretty strong stuff. And what I want you to see here is, is that your activity in your body and in your spirit and in your soul has physical impacts. And your physical impacts have expressions in your soul and in your spirit because you are unitary. You, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You are spirit, soul, and body. But you're not, you're one person, right? He's one God. You're one person, three parts. He's one God, three persons. Oh, guess what? You're made in His image. Mm. Big shocker, right? Ah, the reveal. Okay? So this is what happens. So, so you see where, where repetitive stimulation begins to actually change your genetic expression. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Okay? So... This is the Spirit of God revealing to holy men millennia before anybody saw a microscope or anybody got a Nobel Prize how it is that the way you think changes your body. <laughs> Let me say that again. How you think changes your body. Your, your genes don't drive you. You drive you. And you formulate yourself to a certain expression of being. That's memory. Pretty strong stuff. Now what I want to share with you is the habit loop. And this comes from The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. 
Charles Duhigg was in his early days um, uh, really influenced or, or really, um, uh, what's the word, not influenced, but, uh, okay. oh, influence will work. He read The Tipping Point, and, and, it, and The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, which is from a literary magazine writer observing behavior in human beings, changed cognitive behavior science. <laughs> That's how powerful Malcolm Gladwell is as a writer. Anyhow, so Charles Duhigg is one of these young Turks in the new avant-garde of behavioral science. This is science. This is not, um, you know, pop psych or anything like that. So there's, there's all kinds of things behind this, but I'll just give you the, 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 the notes, right? So the habit loop, there's a cue that comes, and the cue prompts you to do a routine. Uh -huh. That routine sets off a reward, and that reward drives you back to the cue. And this, this is the habit loop, okay? So how does this work out? Habit development. Cue, routine, result, reward is, is a basic learning process. So, you know, if, um, if, a, if a kid's sitting in his high chair and the cue is the banana slice lands on the tray, right? His response is to grab that and put it in his mouth. His reward is he got banana in his mouth, right? Okay, that's basic learning. This is how we learn. That action stimulus and everything else enhances those synapses, synapses strengths, all this stuff, I think that, that happens, okay? That is just learning. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter involved in our motivation. It pushes us to seek the reward, the pleasure. So now, now um, dopamine helps you focus, helps you learn. It's one of the pleasure neurotransmitters. And so now as you're looking for that reward, dopamine's being released. It's saying, you need that thing. You want that thing. And it's produced in the brain. So when you think, and dopamine's released, and that's all happening in your brain. Serotonin is the payoff neurotransmitter, telling us all is well, it's satisfaction. It's produced in the gut. So let's take our baby again, the cue, the banana slice lands on there. The, the response, eat the banana slice, because now there's a dopamine response is happening, and, and so that's, that's kind of driving, I need to eat, and he's going to eat, right? Again, this is all reductionist. He eats it, and now serotonin says, yeah, that was good. Do that enough, it develops what is called a biofeedback loop, which we're calling, basically, the habit loop. It's a biofeedback loop. This is physically driven by thought and action process. Are you with me so far? So, here's another habit loop example. Your smartphone dings off. Ding, boop, beep, whistle, ring, whatever. Why do you think those developers make all those bells, whistles, rings, and whatevers? Because they know the cue will make you respond. All you need is the right cue. This is why now, um, uh, you know, because of thinking this kind of stuff through in the 19th century and in the 18th century, we now have things that are we think of as common, like toothpaste and air fresheners. They weren't common 100 years ago. They had to be sold, and they were sold through a queue. So, bing, ding, bong, dong. How many people do you think would lose their life savings at a one-armed bandit if it didn't have any bells, whistles, or sounds in a gambling casino? Hardly any. <laughs> Those are the cues, right? So the routine is to, oh, it dings, and I'm going to check it. I'm going to check it for the thumbs up, the heart, the post, the like, whatever. Okay? And so the reward is, well, um, I'm happy. I, I got five likes on my post, or, oh, someone saw it, or I got some response. Oh, here's a new thing I could look at, right? 
So that's that's a habit loop example. But see, what happens here once or twice is nothing. But as it goes around, there's this craving for virtual affirmation. Mm -hmm. That craving, which is which has now developed through dopamine, that's saying, "Hey, we need to rectify this. You need to go ahead and check that." That craving for the routine, that craving for the reward, once the cue starts, right? This is measurable, this is monitorable, this is science. Is once you get involved, that, that now when the craving comes in, now craving's just a good English word, right? I'm craving donuts, I'm craving to watch a movie, I'm craving, we call biblically, you know, lust, right? Desire. Not all lusts are bad. Um, Anticipation spikes the dopamine, which drives us to satisfaction. Now that you've learned the habit, the anticipation of reward drives you to accomplish the task. Okay? Are you with me so far? Mm -hmm. All right. <clears throat> the reason why walking around with that dumbbell on my leg was is that this is important to know to walk out your spiritual life, okay? Craving makes the habit. Without the craving, it doesn't set the habit. But once the craving sets in, the habit's there. Okay? And once the habit's there, it lays a groove. You don't, you don't, um, you replace your action. The groove's always there. If you, if you, if you're back, if you're back here, and again, fill in the blank, right? I gotta check the cue. I gotta drink the drink, I gotta smoke the smoke, I gotta check the porn, I gotta do whatever. There's the cue. Whatever that cue is, if you respond to that cue, you're gonna get the same result. You have to respond in a different way. You gotta change that routine. Because the groove, that pattern now, is laid down in your brain. Your genetic expression in the neurons of your brain, the only organic thing that measures consciousness for you, has been changed. Am I communicating? Yes. <clears throat> 2006 Duke University study found that 40% of the actions people performed each day weren't actual decisions but just habit. Think about that for a minute. Of your activities in a day, 40% are just routine, not even thought about, not even decided. How did you get to work today? What path did you drive? What clothes did you wear? What did you eat? What did you watch? What did you read? What did you think? What did you say? Mm -hmm. Consider that Jesus said that we would be judged for everything that came out of our mouth and then think about the fact that 40% of it pouring out, all of it comes from your heart, but 40% of it you didn't even think about. It, it was just habit. Here's the thing. As strong as memories are, strong as memories are, habits remain when memories fail. People who have gone through traumatic brain injury, uh, people who cannot lay down new memories can be taught new habits. Mm -hmm. And they will keep the habit and not even remember why they're acting that way. Okay? I share that to share how important the process is. The root of it is what we're at, a true heart. But that true heart drives the process. That's why I'm spending time on the process. Because this process is hard to disconnect without overt conscious effort. If I didn't stop and think, where did the Spanish hide? If I didn't stop and think, I better, since it's my first written language I learned to read, I better make it a habit to read Spanish to keep it alive in my heart. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, without obvious effort, you just lay down as a passive effect of your habits. And you don't get a pass. You don't get to stand before Jesus and say, well, that's just the way I always did it. I always walked around with that dumbbell on my leg. He says, no. <laughs> it's not how I taught you to walk. Mm -hmm. Right? So, habits remain where memories fail. Sometimes the hard work of getting our souls aligned to the trueness that Jesus has put in our spirit is to examine why it is we're doing things that we're doing. That even after the weight's released, I'm walking weird, but oh, I didn't realize I had this habit of putting the shoes on the wrong feet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and so to figure out those connections that are hidden cues that drive behavior, mm -hmm. you know? Find myself sitting alone drinking a bottle of rum. Why am I doing this? There's nothing, there's nothing about this that makes sense. What was the cue? You know, and then to take that cue and use the cue and the strength of the loop to ride you on a different behavior path. That is just, that's just, a, I'm just a practical keys of doing this. The way that it gets exposed, the way it gets powered, the way you overcome is through the spirit. You do not cleanse the spirit with the body. It's the other way around. Amen. So, um, for instance, smoking. You know, a person could decide to quit smoking because they're convicted that this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So they quit smoking. And yet, maybe they don't deal with the triggers that brought that cue of smoking on. Um, I just reread a piece that I wrote years ago, and, and, and um, I was surprised at it again. But the, the surprising factor is, is that how weak, how weak of a disincentive it is to see the ill effects of a bad habit. You know? Mm -hmm. I watched my father die of <coughs> emphysema and lung cancer because of his smoking. Did it stop me from smoking? No. I watched the trauma to our household because of my mother's drinking. Did it stop me from drinking? No. Didn't. And, and so seeing somebody else's destroyed life isn't necessarily, it's a weak disincentive, as a matter of fact, for you to fulfill your own lusts. And so then to figure out, okay, what are the things? And one of the things I realized was is that, that over time I had identified so much with smoking and, and certain activities that I did that I thought were productive, I couldn't see myself doing those without this. And so I had to do something different than this. Now, I'd already come to the place where this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You understand? I took care of the low-hanging fruit. This is destroying my health. But there was this thing that was driving a habit. Am I communicating? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've got plenty of examples because I've sinned a lot. Um, so, <laughs> okay, I'm not bragging, just testifying, okay? Jesus cleanses me, amen? amen? All right, so habits remain where memories fail. So we need to identify, you know, um, what are these things where it says make no provision for the flesh. That's what we're talking about is what are these things that I, I just decide... Um, you know, here, here's the one, I'll use dietary and then I'll use porn addiction, okay? Because uh, I, I think they could be related, alright? So, um, and I, I've noticed this with, with the women that I know, that they, they've determined a particular eating path for health. Mm -hmm. And then, um, somewhere along the day, they eat something that is off the table, that's not supposed to be eaten, and they go, well... I've already blown the diet. We might as well just go whole hog and the diet starts tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
Okay. All right. So then now, uh, all right. So man or a woman is walking in purity, is not seeking out pornography, but then um, falls to their own lust and temptation, and they look at it. And then they go, well, I've already looked at the porn. I might as well go watch it for two, three hours now, because I've already fallen. Don't! Get up! Get clean! Stop! Yep. Stop there! This is not a life of tumble. It's a walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's it. Right? So... Those are just two examples. I mean, I, I could use, uh, like I said, I could use a lot because I've seen a lot. So, um, you understand? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is, Jesus wants us free. Amen. Jesus wants us free because He gets more of us when we're free. Amen. We show up more frequently. We're involved with Him more frequently. We listen to Him more often. We do what He wants more often. The world changes more. People are healed more. When we fail, we destroy ourselves. And as Scripture proves in the first piece of heart, we destroy the world. You don't just hurt you. You hurt everything around you. Okay? Matthew 13. We good? Yeah. All right. I told you it was extravaganza. And we got more coming. So, hope you're in for church, right? Um, Matthew 13. Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. This is the interpretation of the the, the, the seed and the sower. For it was sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures it for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and, and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. So the ground isn't faded. You determine what is your heart. Let us draw near with a true heart. Are you good ground? Are you stony ground? Are you wayside ground? Good ground receives it, understands it, and produces fruit. And I want to tell you that understanding is beyond mental conception. Mental conception is involved, but understanding in God's economy is a bit bigger than that. Okay? So, I think Luke 6 is next. Luke 6.45 The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the streams broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the streams broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Okay? So, if you take these two... You can correlate obedience and understanding. 
hear, understand, bear fruit in Matthew 13 correlates with hear, do, and build in Luke. Okay? Obedience followed by understanding is the primary path of the Lord. Right? The, the, it's not that understanding God absolutely works against. It's just that fullness of understanding comes with obedience. It comes with obedience. This is what Scripture tells us. Psalm 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. Amen. See, it's in the doing of it. It's in the doing of it. We can study Scripture all day long. You can memorize Matthew. You can memorize the whole, the whole Bible. But if you don't do any of it, you don't know any of it. Amen. Okay? You just don't know. And so when the stream comes, okay, which you can interpret as being a trial in life or apply as being an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it either is going to, you're going to stand under the anointing and be able to perform or you're going to fall apart. And we make a big show of it. And he's spiritual. He fell out in the Spirit. <laughs> well, maybe he's lacking a little foundation. Maybe he got a little overwhelmed. Now, caveat. I'm not saying that every time you fall under the grace, you don't have a foundation. I didn't say that. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that it is in the doing. It is in the doing. There are so, there's so much in the kingdom and heart of God that you will not get until you do. Until you do. God didn't, God didn't tell, you know, God told Abraham, Go. <laughs> he said, go. Jesus told the disciples, go. And when they went, he said, well, no, don't go there, go here. But it was in obedience that they learned, right? It's in obedience that you learn, that you follow. So, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not warring according to the flesh. I showed you all these flesh circuits so you can understand all the things that you're dealing with as you endeavor to follow the Lord. For the weapons of our warfare are not in the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. You have to be aware of what your brain is doing. And then you, by your spirit, have to call it into, into obedience. So that if I'm contemplating self-destructive lust then I have to bring that to Christ's obedience. Is that something Christ would have me do? No. Well, then stop thinking that. Okay? One of, my, one of my big temptations in life is abandonment. Right? I've seen a lot of people die. And so somehow, the first go-to place in my brain and imagination is, what if they die? Oh, well, what if they die? What if they die? What if they die? What if they die? Yeah. They're late picking me up. They're probably dead. I mean, there's no middle ground, right? It's like, oh my God, she's dead. Okay, well, that's a vain imagination. And yet all the emotional signature of grief, fear, worry, loss is attendant to that, oh my God, they're dead. Okay, well, years of discipline through the Spirit of God saying, hey, stop. That's not a thought of God. Furthermore, even if it were true, which it's not, even if it were, they're not lost to God, therefore they're not lost to me. Mm -hmm. So stop it. Okay? I got hundreds of examples like this because I think a lot of bad things. Alright? <laughs> I'm not bragging, I'm just testifying. You've got to bring it 
to, to kneel before Christ. Amen. If you're not making it kneel before Christ, you can't sit there and go, I don't know, I don't know why I did it. Yes, you do. We all know why we did it. Because we wanted to. <laughs> and because by wanting and doing it, we developed a circuit that drove us physically to it. That's why you've got to fight. That's Amen. why it's a fight. It's not, it's not one of these things, ah, okay, I'm better now. No. <laughs> get that sword of the Spirit out of your mouth and get that thought in line and then plug the right ones in. Amen. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, and everyone's like, finally. He's at the end, right? Okay. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, yeah. whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Amen. Fill your mind with the beauty of holiness, the beauty of God, the things that call to your heart to say, that's honorable. You know, when, when a person sacrifices their life for somebody else and your heart wells up inside you and makes you want to cry, it's because your heart's responding to the honorable of self-sacrifice. Courage makes us go, wow. Right? Um, truthfulness makes us go, wow. People who are honest make us go, wow. Right? Mm -hmm. These are the things that we fill our mind with because that mind filled with Honorable, just, purity, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise things makes the body more responsive, changes genetic expression in the mind to be driven by the dopamine loop to do the everlasting will of God. Amen. He designed you to do His will. All these things the devil jumped on, I'm preaching now, all the things the devil jumped on to warp us and to pervert us and to make us sin, God designed for you to advance His kingdom with passion in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body. Your very body is designed to seek the reward of, well done, Amen. my good and faithful servant. Amen. That's God's design. All you've got to do is just plug in God things. Amen? Amen? I tell you, this stuff is good. Amen. This Word of God is good. So, hallelujah. That's what I have for you tonight. Amen. Things that are worthy of things that are worthy of praise. We won't praise God tonight. Amen. Amen. Woo. Thank you, church. Thank you.